Welcome back, everyone, to this week's episode of Grit and Glitter, the weekly podcast dedicated to the world of women's wrestling. I am M. Fear, and this week we're going to get a little bloody, folks. We're going to talk to Amy Morgor about the women of deathmatch wrestling. And to do so, I'm joined by Glitterati member Jackie Pratt. Hi, Jackie. Hi. How's it going? Oh, it's doing great. I'm so excited to talk about blood and wrestling, two of my favorite things together. That's right, because you have actually covered somewhat covered this type of topic in a previous episode, correct? Absolutely. So we're diving back in. It's been actually an interest of mine since we started Grit and Glitter to do a deathmatch-focused episode. Our esteemed co-host, the Harley Harley R. Paget, is unfortunately not able to attend this week's discussion. Um, I also think he's a little squeamish about blood, everybody, but it's okay. Um, but that's okay because we have a dynamite discussion partner in the fabulous and fantastic and bloodthirsty Amy Morgor. Welcome, Amy. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll drink water. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's possible. Oh my gosh, that's my jam. Um, <laughs> uh, opening question for you, Amy. How long have you been so bloodthirsty? <laughs> <laughs> But Amy, you're, um, you, you've got a unique perspective on um, deathmatch wrestling. You have a lot of insider perspective from photography's point of view. So can you talk a little bit about like your work and specifically like what makes you interested in this genre of match? I, I kind of fell into it sideways because really when I got involved with photography, believe it or not, I was really focused on trying to uh, highlight and go to more women's matches because uh, one of the earliest all women's show I ever got to go to as an adult, uh, they just decided not to record it at all. Like I saw the video crew there and they just took down their equipment and it's like, well, wait, you're not going to record this? Come on. You got to document this. You got debuts. You got people making history here. Like Willow Nightingale's first match ever was not recorded. That is just unfortunate. Why Why weren't they recording it? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Her second match ever was also wasn't recorded, but at least I was there ringside and took photos. Um, as you got more involved in taking photos ringside, uh, what what has attracted you specifically to more hardcore style wrestling? So again, I fell into it sideways because Okay, first off, I'm 41, so I kind of grew up with ECW in its heydays, uh, including before they went to the Nash, uh, what was then the Nashville Network, then became the National Network, and ultimately Spike. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I was there, or I was watching a lot. Of, in fact, ECW was the very first uh, live event I ever attended in 1997 uh, at my high school in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And so, um, yeah, I, 
I've just been around it. And also I had friends who were tape traders, so they would show me various things from Japan. Although I, I think I might have been the first one in my circle of friends back then to actually have a videotape because I bought a copy of Best of Cactus Jack in Japan. And oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a lot more different than anything I had ever seen. That's so in cool. wrestling anywhere. Although, you know what? I almost forgot the very first time I ever watched wrestling, pro wrestling at all. Because again, 41. So Hulk Hogan had his cartoon. But I didn't know what wrestling was. As far as I knew, they all lived in a junkyard together and were just friends and would go on adventures. Because that's what I seem to remember. That and Lou Albano having rubber bands going through his cheek. But the um, first time I saw actual <laughs> pro wrestling was uh, my older cousin was flipping through channels. And cowboy Ron Bass had knocked down Brutus the Beefcake Barber and took spurs and raked it across his forehead and hard way uh, bladed him with that. And a big red X censored came across the screen. So I think Wild. I think that's what doomed me. <laughs> Just became obsessed that, that at that moment. <laughs> uh, by the way, listeners, if you are curious about the Hulk Hogan Rock and Wrestling cartoon, uh, me and Harley did an entire episode on our Patreon, on the Great and Glitter Patreon, dedicated to watching every single one of those episodes. Uh, well, Harley did. I could not make myself do that. <laughs> but you can watch the vast majority of them on youtube so if you are interested uh sign up for our patreon you can find that episode that sounds like a fever okay. dream in the making it, it even just hearing carly describe the episodes that i hadn't watched i felt like i was on something <laughs> well so amy you put together a playlist for us um to kind of dive into this topic because as i was talking about off air I, um, mm -hmm. from the very beginning of Grit and Glitter, I wanted to, to do a spotlight episode on the women and non-cis males in deathmatch and hardcore mm -hmm. wrestling. And I, mostly because I feel like while there are stars of this format, where there are, you know, there are people who like, like Nick Gage, who get like a ton of attention for being this hardcore person, we've got women and non-cis males in this genre who are tearing it up or mm -hmm. who have a le legacy of brilliance in this particular match style, but often get overlooked in the conversation, even just in general about deathmatch wrestling, not even praiseworthy, but just like not mentioned at all or mm -hmm. left out of the conversation about it. So, and when there is conversation about women in this type of match, it tends to be very divisive. You have situations like when AEW finally dived into letting their women do hardcore style, it really, like, there was some interesting split reactions. I thought that match was some of the best content that they had produced from the women's division. Absolutely and yet they were, captivating. Absolutely yes. gripping match. So good. Very, very good. Very top caliber of that type of match for, for a television show. You know, for a, like, mm -hmm. you know, a cable television wrestling show. Um, so... I thought it was, I thought it was pretty great. I thought it was, you know, some of the best storytelling that they could do in the women's division because frankly, they don't do storytelling in the women's division, <laughs> even, even do it, let alone do it poorly. Oh um, so when I was reading things of negative reactions to it, it, I was really shocked and it brought back to mind like, Hey, we really need to dedicate an episode and kind of talk about, you know, the women who have made their name in this field or women who have made their name in wrestling, but they're, they're legacy and deathmatch wrestling is often overlooked and 
I thought, you know, why not? Why not now when we're still on the precipice of kind of trying to figure out where where those women are, where, where the attention is going, and when we can expect to see more of this style on television again. Um, so the first thing I want to ask you, Amy, though, and I love Jackie, if you had input too, yeah. people use the terms hardcore wrestling, deathmatch wrestling. Some some use it very distinctively. They think of them as in distinct categories. Some some people use it interchangeably. I'm curious how you both feel about these terms if you think of them as interchangeable or as their own entities. I think the line is very blurry on hardcore and deathmatch because ECW made an entire uh, revolution, if you will, off of calling themselves hardcore. Some of their matches, I think by today's standards, wouldn't even really be seen as that hardcore, really. One chair, one baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. Yeah. I mean, that might have been incredibly shocking to some audiences in the mid-90s, uh, but Honestly, the line is blurry, but also consider other matches, match, match types that are hardcore, essentially, but people just ignore it. For example, a false count anywhere match, by default, that is a no disqualification match. A cage yeah. match, also a bit of a hardcore match. Um, tables, ladders, and chairs. Come on, you are using three different types of weapons right there alone. That is hardcore. It's just marketing and branding. But also the term deathmatch itself. Think of the Texas deathmatch in which you pin your opponent and then you get away and they have a standing 10 count to get up before they can continue. To, or, um, sorry, a standing 10 count before uh, they're officially the loser. And they keep on going perpetually until one wrestler cannot stand up. So is that a death match? So there it's, you go. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, it's a blurry definition. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm also of the, the camp that it's a blurry definition, that the, the lines between hardcore and deathmatch are far more blurry than not. Um, but I think there's a, if there's going to be any kind of distinction, I think the term... Deathmatch implies a particular type of hardcore match um, that just has a lot more um, brutal weaponry, like weaponry that could actually go wrong and hurt you severely quickly. Um, I think like light tubes, things like that, you know. Um, I think it mm -hmm. has to do with the types of weaponry that are used and how actually dangerous those weapons are in the way that they are being used in the match. I think that is what. I think more clearly defines some more deathmatch styles from your more conventional hardcore matches, at least um, from my perspective. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think that there has to be an extra, extra layer of danger involved mm -hmm. to really qualify as a deathmatch. I, if I was being sold a deathmatch, I'll just, I'll go from the audience perspective, not even like a, like a knowledgeable wrestling fan, but just like I'm just a general mark, which is kind of where I am. Um, if I was being sold a death match, if I was going to a show and they said like, it's going to be a death match between so-and-so and so-and-so, -and -so, I would expect sitting down and watching that match to see some, some things that like 
go that surpass a street fight level hardcore match that surpass a table surpass even like you know chairs tables even kendo sticks i would need to see something beyond that and that might be in the weapons and it might be in the way that the people in the match fight i don't necessarily think that a death match has to have like you know exploding barbed wire but <laughs> i do think it needs to have an intensity and cutthroatedness beyond the level of a street fight match, an ODQ match. There needs to be a stake that's a slight, that's, that heightens it to the point where we feel like someone could legit die. Yes. Yes. So I hear that. But of course, I, I do remember that virtually any wrestling hold can result in serious injury or possible death when applied correctly. <laughs> Like, think of Hayabusa, who was one of the most renowned wrestlers mm-hmm. in Deathmatch, who was paralyzed from a botched acai moonsault. Yeah. I mean, that's completely fair. So in a lot of ways, <laughs> Deathmatch, the term is redundant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess for term, Here's the term that I think might help, though. When the term ultraviolence is used, mm. I think that's giving a more serious mm. overlay for what is to be expected from the death match. Yes. Yeah. I like that term a lot too. Ultraviolent is very clear about what you're seeing. Like, make no bones about it. If you don't like violent wrestling, you will not like ultraviolent wrestling. And that is okay. Everyone has their own flavors, no judgment. No, no judgment. I mean, I, I tease about Harley, but like, I, I know that that's not where his interests lie and that's completely, com- completely fine. Like it's honestly, it's not my strong suit either. For me, I want to be captivated by the story and a, a death match could be a really weird, weird to say, but it could be a weirdly beautiful way to cap off a storyline mm-hmm. depending on the feud. So I think it has yep. its place. For me, it's not something I necessarily want to sit down and watch just for for hardcore sake. It's one of those things that, like, I think there are fans and have an appetite for just you know violence for violence sake. But for me, wrestling ultimately, pro wrestling isn't isn't complete without a story attached. Especially the the bigger the stakes are, the more blood there is. I want that blood to really mean something to me. Yes. Yeah. I'm of the same boat. I I love a if it's going to be bloody, I want that blood to be you know filled with with meaning well so go jumping from there let's talk about the playlist let's talk about some of the matches that you selected and we'll kick off right at the start of the playlist um why don't you introduce this one this is athena versus Hanaya the howling huntress and so speaking of a meaning this was supposed to be the culmination of a mini feud in which Hanaya had cost Athena a chance at getting a belt. And Athena returned the favor the following time that they met. And then ultimately, they just began to wallop each other. And it ultimately came to a head in a tables, ladders, and chair match at the ECW arena. And I bought a ticket to see that. I was a fan. I was front row. You can even see me there with a Wegmans bag and a stupid little red panda hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, first off, I think that was that my first time at the ECW arena? I think it was. So that was extra special to me as well. But also, 
right there, the sheer brutality. There is no blood, but coming away from that match, how did you feel looking at the the sheer violence that they inflicted on each other? I think you can judge oftentimes with a TLC match, the level of debris left like throughout, like whether it's a stray ladder hanging out or parts of a table or chairs scattered about, and there's debris to be found here. I, I thought this was a really, really good intro hardcore match. I thought both women performed it excellently. There was a, quite a bit of like legit wrestling to go in there. So if you're somebody who like hardcore wrestling is not your your necessarily like your forte, this would give you what you needed in that regard, especially given the storyline. This one, this one was great. And it has, it, it lasts for such a long time. It's such a breather. Like it takes a while to get, it, it takes its time and it doesn't lose energy throughout the whole thing. But I think this match is like 25 minutes long or something. Yeah. It's the main event. Yeah. It's every bit of main event too. You can feel that even if you didn't like, I mean, obviously I, I don't, I don't feel like you, I've been to shows where they put TLC matches in the middle of the card or at the beginning of the card. And it's a weird thing to do. <laughs> this did feel main event worthy. Yes. This felt like a great, but, but I was going to say this was a blow off match for this feud, but it's not right. Because there was still stuff after the match ended that implied to me that there would be even more. Now, what was extra funny was the whole thing of Hanaya attempting to be a villain because if you know her, you know that she's a very spiritual person. So her attempt at trying to be evil at the end, it just felt so, it's not you. That's not you. Why are you flipping off everyone? But I guess that, that was the frustration of her character showing there. Yeah. It's not opportunities. And yeah. It's beautifully done though. Cause I didn't, I mean, I could see how it's like a heel turnish moment. I mean, obviously anytime you like, you know, turn on somebody like that and you, you blindside them with a chair to the, like, you know, Mm -hmm. behind their back, like that's not a hero's move. But to me, that is relatable in that frustration moment of like, just Mm -hmm. having no other course of action. So one thing I will say in this match, um, I actually did have a hard time with some of the pacing at the beginning. Uh, And particularly, uh, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of setup of what the commentary called the chair menagerie, which does have a good payoff later in the match. So like it does pay off, but the match was just starting to get some momentum. And then they started setting up that spot. And instead of Hanaya going back and like continuing to beat up Athena, like set up a chair, then beat up Athena, set up another chair or two, then beat up Athena. It it just like paused the match a little bit for me. And it did take a little bit for them to get the momentum back uh, for me, but they did get that momentum back. Uh, it started with that brutal um, spear that Hanaya delivered to Athena um, onto the ladder. That was just like, Oh my gosh. And then from there, it just started to really get that momentum back with like another great like slingshot onto the ladder that Athena gave Hanaya. Um, That was like about the halfway point. And that's really where to me, the match started like really dialing into the good stuff. Uh, And like I said, that chair menagerie did have a great payoff at the end. So I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, come to think of it, like I did, I did feel, I feel like I was more sucked into the start than maybe you were, Jackie, but I think I was so into the final like eight minutes of this oh, match that great. I, <laughs> that I kind of 
blanked out any of the slow bits because by, by about eight minutes till the end, I was just like completely sucked in. I could have taken it. Like by the time they had their finish, I could have taken five more minutes. Yeah. And that's sort of like just a general critique. Sometimes with the style of wrestling, the setup for the spots can, can be a little long and almost counterintuitive or counterproductive. They can sometimes throw off a pacing or they can sometimes just make no sense. You're like, dude's clearly not uh, uh, on the ground there. Chick's clearly not like hurt too bad. Why are you ignoring? Like, so sometimes there are those like logistical little storyline pieces that, that can just be a little distracting in hardcore style matches, um, which is the the risk that you take when you do, or one of the many risks that you take when you do this style. Uh, but like I said, these two women get that momentum back and then it is just off to the races once they're there. It is, it is a great finish to that match. Amy, talk to me about your opinions of Athena as a hardcore wrestler. So Athena doesn't do it that much anymore but early in her career she was known for doing hardcore matches and was very proud of that uh she chose to stop that though out of concerns that it could have long-term damage or pigeonhole her as a hardcore only type uh wrestler so um i love athena because uh one of the things that okay let, let me just put out there I do not watch televised pro wrestling. I, <laughs> I just, I, I gave up on corporate wrestling uh, around the mid two thousands. I just couldn't anymore. Uh, so, one of the things that I just enjoy that Athena has always been good at building up is mystique. Mm-hmm. And I saw that she amped it up with some of the photos and video clips I've seen of her in the WWE and AEW. Uh, even in the indies, she used to do things to hype up her mystique. She would have a standard bearer go before her, carrying her flag, and she would hide herself in a hood and then reveal herself. So she just she already makes spectacle of herself. On top of the fact that she hits hard, she will give visceral war cries while fighting it's she's she's got so much going for her that really brings attention to her and that's really what you want as a wrestler you do want to build up attention on yourself oh yeah for sure when um she recently back in oh when was it february when she made her debut at prestige or i believe it was a return uh or a, a debut uh when she did her spot, I mean, it was just, it was perfectly executed. Nobody knew who she was until she took down the layers of the hoodie and the mask and everything. And boom, there she was. She knows how to build momentum for herself. And that's, I mean, that's extraordinary because honestly, if you can do that as a pro wrestler, if you're given like scant amount of time to make an impression, making the most out of that really counts. And she, she knows what she's doing in that regard. I mean, she knows what she's doing in most regards, but like, for that, that's a, I mean, that's a phenomenal skill to have as a pro wrestler, to be able to know how to make that impact in that, like, in those early moments of an audience taking you in. It's probably the most valuable asset you can have, really. Yeah. 
So speaking of audiences taking in moments and believing impressions, let's move to our second match on your playlist. You want to set this up for us, Amy? This is our four-way match. Yes. Okay. So while I did want to try to focus on women-only matches, there are a couple intergender matches in this. And uh, uh, so this is Interspecies Wrestling, a company that is very dear to my heart because thanks to interspecies, I think I have a lot, uh, had a lot more opportunities open up to me. Uh, this was 2019 WrestleMania weekend collective in Jersey city and interspecies wrestling was the primetime slot for that block at the collective. And this was the main event. It was, and okay. Um, I hope you guys don't get sued for me using this word. Well, five letter word. It was a Lego death match between Jeff Cannonball, who already is an amazing death match wrestler on his own. Yes. Matt Tremont, who is the um, most <laughs> decorated American death match wrestler. Nick Gage, who is synonymous with death match, mostly because he famously, of course, actually did die in a death match, but was uh, resuscitated. And their champion, a woman, Addie Starr. Who is like, like, this is, this is her match style specifically, this like, this Lego, or what do they call it? Dutch death blocks? So to avoid, (laughs) because Interspecies Wrestling has received multiple cease and desist letters from the Lego <laughs> parent company. Um, I am, this is not kayfabe. They legit have received cease and desist, so they try to avoid it when they do their official marketing. Of course, this doesn't apply to other companies, but I'm pretty sure if they become uh, infamous enough, they'll probably get C&D letters as well. Uh, so one of the many things that they'll call it, they'll call it uh, brightly colored blocks of death. Um, <laughs> that, that's the one that I'm remembering, but I believe there was another one that they called, uh, I forget what country Lego originally came from. I want to say Denmark. So they might Yeah, I think it was it Danish, Danish. Danish blocks of death. Yes. yes. <laughs> Danish, so de- Danish really- death block is hard to say, but a very good name i mean if adisar ever for legal reasons had to like you know really rebrand a bit she could be the dame of danish test block that's oh pretty. my goodness that, that, oh, that, that works so well that would that would roll off the tongue pretty nicely well there you are addy we just gave it to you <laughs> um so so yeah, this match, it's funny because this was part of the collective weekend um, during, in 2019 for WrestleMania weekend. I went to several shows at this very location, having like gone, like staying right up the street and uh, getting tickets to several collective shows. But I'm really sad I missed out on this one in particular <laughs> because the whole card, which is uh, lovingly called Boner Jam, um, is, is pretty eclectic and sounds like a blast. But this as a main event just sounds like so much fun. Um, or it, it seems like it would have been so much fun in person. I feel like there was maybe slightly something missing from watching it on stream because there was so much action I couldn't see and moving parts of people. And there was a moment in the match where it felt like people were waiting their turn. And I think it wouldn't have felt that way if I was sitting there live. But 
other than that, I, I, I mean, what can you say? It's, it's a bunch of Legos and people like tossing each other through. And there's a great sequence right early on with um, Jeff and Tremont just bullying each other for like two minutes straight. And I'm a, I'm a simple person and I like simple things. I like two beefy people running at each other head first. Oh, it is so brutal. They're just headbutting and oh, it's amazing. And I will say, so my partner was at this match. He did see this match live and it has been living in my head through his stories for three years now because I could not be there that night and to finally uh, watch it uh, and have it um, have it play out uh, from what I had built it up to be in my head was pretty, pretty great because no amount of retelling of the match could could do justice to actually watching the match. Um, and I've got to say the conceit of this is so brilliant because it's so universal. Like not everyone knows what it feels like to be hit with a light tube, but almost mm-hmm. everyone knows what it's like to step on a Lego. And it's very easy to imagine how brutal they could be as a weapon. So genius, genius match style. Oh, I loved this. Those are one my the favorite. Things, oh, sorry, Amy, go ahead. One of the things that shocked me the most was getting to the ring, because uh, you can also see me being a goof there again. <laughs> so I picked a few matches I was at in person. Um, so you can see me as a goof singing along to the, to the theme songs, but also just looking at the bats did you know that there's Lego tape? Uh, yes, I, I I have a small child, but yes, I yes I did. <laughs> I did not. I was really pleased to see it. There was Lego tape wrapped around the baseball bats, in which mm-hmm. they added Legos on top of, including these. Oh my goodness, these psychos! They added Lego trees. <sighs> That's sadistic. <laughs> it looked vicious. And, and, and Cannonball and Tremont took those bats to the head, mm. unprotected. <laughs> you, I mean, you could literally have, you, you could have this entire match be just people being like kind of face grounded into Legos and it would be the, one of the most brutal things you've ever Absolutely. watched because it, it's just, it looks so painful in a relatable way. Like you were saying, Jackie, like that is tends to be my favorite slash most squeamish moments in, in matches like this when it's a pain that you know that you are familiar with. Yep. Um, I, I get the same thing with like whenever anyone pinches something in like a ladder or like <sighs> pinches something in like a folding chair, <laughs> getting hit that. with a folding chair. I can't tell you, but I have had one pinched on my fingers before <sighs> accidentally. And it's like when that type of thing happens, man, in a match, to a certain point, you know that it's being worked, but there's only so much that can be worked in that. So you know that that pain is there. I guess that's the other thing about about this style of match is that you're really pulling back the idea of artifice in the moves that you're doing because the like they're bleeding. Even if the blood is, even if they you know bladed a little bit or whatever, like for the vast majority of hardcore death matches, they don't need to. That blood is real. It came from a real place. That pain is real. Mm-hmm. There's nothing mm-hmm. you can't call that fake for those right. people who call pro wrestling fake you can't really say that this is fake and that might be the reason why there is such an appetite and such an audience for these matches they are seeing something that is 100 legit even if it's done in some even if the results of the match are pre predetermined 
the spots themselves, there's only so much you can work. Right. It actually works as a grounding element in the storytelling. It it, it grounds what's happening. Uh, And on all the wildness of the action, the blood is very grounding. My mother still will occasionally ask me when she looks at my photos, oh, the blood's fake, right? And I have to remind her, the blood's the most real thing in pro wrestling. (laughs) Like how the blood happens might have been uh, orchestrated. (laughs) Yes. But it's but the blood is real no one's squibbing no this is this is this has ruined horror movies for me because then you see scenes where someone's discovered basil blood or something like that and it's still bright red it's like no i've been around enough people bleeding that it turns brown after a few hours come on yeah i mean dried blood if you've got like a if you've got like especially a longer match where someone started bleeding right away by the end of the match it's already starting kind of rust over so but this match, um, I mean, there, there is some blood involved. I, I believe that there is blood. I, we watched all of these, so there's blood in all my memories, even the ones that <laughs> didn't have blood. Um, but I thought that if you were going to propose to someone to watch a match of this like genre, this would also be a really good way to do it because, because of that relatable element. And also because there's a slight element of goofiness with it, right? Yes. Like it's, it's not barbed mm-hmm. wire. It's not thumbtacks. It's Lego. And while we know that that hurts and it clearly is hurting and they're doing it in the most vicious way possible, there still is a bunch of colorful children's toys being mm-hmm. thrown around. So this to me would be like a pretty excellent thing to see both in person and to, to show someone on stream. Yeah, it's not short on the violence, even though it's colorful. But the color the color helps in both regards, both the color, the color in the- in The, the color always sense. helps in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, the color and the, the metaphorical color, the, the wrestling color. Going a little further on interspecies, just wanted to let you know that um, last October, they did a match in which they did a Kickstarter called the Dumbest Kickstarter, in which they uh, raised funds to try and get a million Legos. Of course, they didn't hit a million Legos. It was an aspirational number, and they were upfront about that. But still, there were even more Legos in that main event. And you had... Kennedy Copeland making her debut for interspecies wrestling, doing Legos while fighting Addie Starr, as well as four other wrestlers in it. And she recently took on uh, Tara Calloway this weekend, in which she took, have you ever seen those Millennial Falcon Lego dealies? Um, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I retweeted that a little earlier today. Uh, go ahead and take a look at that because I think it might get a reaction from you folks when you see what she does to the champion Tara Calloway with it. Oh I my God. I love Tara well, and I love Kennedy. So on. I'm excited about this. I can only imagine because these things are like blades. Yeah. Yeah. So a full millennial, Millennium Falcon. Uh, let me paste it into chat, give you a quick link. <laughs> This is the uh, K-Town Toy Box of Doom match from the most recent Interspecies Wrestling show. Yes. Toy Box of Doom. I love yeah. wrestling. I, I know. Love wrestling so much. I think that that's kind of, I keep coming back, like watching these matches, I kept coming back to like how, 
how interesting it is to me that this is pro wrestling. And then like I can watch a a match that is pure technical, no blood, all joint manipulation looks just as brutal, but in a very different way. And that's pro wrestling. I can see meaty men slapping meat and that's brutal in its own way. And that's pro wrestling. You like the beauty of pro wrestling is that it's got so many shades just happens to be that this is one of the genres where like the shades went real dark. Uh, speaking of, let's let's move to that because I want to talk with this yes. first Necro Butcher. I'm going to admit something to you guys. I um, I so I watched all these matches. Um, mm-hmm. The next one we talk about is one I have seen before and it was really fun to revisit and is probably my actual favorite match amongst these playlists. But I have never watched Lufisto versus Necro Butcher, Amy, and I loved this match. Yeah. <laughs> love Lucesto. She is my age. She has gone through so much. I look to her as someone aspirational. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't want to put people on pedestals because they're people, but just seeing her never die spirit and that she's my generation, my age, and that she's still going, living her dream, working through personal tragedies, but still doing her best to make certain that the audience is happy and sees something that makes them excited. I just absolutely adore this lady. And I just want her to get all the success in the world. This match would be uh, just, just great, even just in of itself. But something that really adds to this match is when you realize, when you understand that this is both competitors, third match of the night. Uh Uh-huh. And it, it's just, you're watching it. And like, it also explains why quite it's, it's pretty efficiently paced. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty quick one, but like Mm -hmm. the fact that they still have more to give in something called like the show itself is called bloodstock. So like, we know that there has been violence before this. We like, you don't have to see the rest of the card to know that these people have already been through a war. So now they have to do one more round and it's, it's intense from the get-go. And I really liked so many of these spots and how they were worked because clearly these are two people who know how to do this work and make it through mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. Maybe barely, and, but and, alive. Yeah. And to add some context, right? Just like one, this is happening, what, I believe in 2006, this mm-hmm. match was from. So we're talking over 15 years ago. Uh, and further, uh, Necro Butcher is an icon in deathmatch wrestling, uh, so much so that he was featured in the movie The Wrestler, the Ricky Mork, uh, the Mickey Work movie. Um, like, in a pivotal scene in that movie that sort of changes the trajectory for Rourke's character. So we're talking about an icon in deathmatch wrestling, and Lufisto is not just holding her own, but beating the fuck out of this man in 2006 for context, again. So in an American and I guess a North American wrestling context, this is like a really pivotal moment. And it's happening at a time when women really aren't being given much space, if any, to really demonstrate how good of wrestlers they are. Um, on an, on a big platform. So I think that context here uh, is really, really important as well. Well, specifically with Lucista herself, 
considering yes. that she actually took the Athletic Commission of Ontario to court mm-hmm. for human rights over the right to have intergender wrestling. Yep. And won that case. Yep. So she she already, yes, she's standing on multiple levels right there. Yeah, this is just like epitome deathmatch proper. Like this is a hard one to beat in terms of quality of a match. It's so good. Yeah, there, there are so many spots on this that are like, just so well executed. And the fact that this match is from 2006 and we can watch it now and it still feels incredibly fresh to watch mm-hmm. tells you something about like the caliber of both these performances. I, I think it's worth mentioning that like Necro Butcher as a person is maybe not the best dude. And so we are not uh, endorsing him correct. as a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not endorsing Agreed. him as a person. But Amy, as you so as duly mentioned in your in your playlist notes, like it's undeniable that he is a icon in this genre of match. That he is, he is, you know, he he is one of the people who make this genre pos- like possible for now. And so it would be, it would be just dumb and it would be silly to pr- to pretend like he didn't have that impact. He doesn't have that impact, especially when you get to watch a match like this where he's going up mm-hmm. against a women's wrestling working legend. Mm-hmm. And mm. and putting her over, and putting her over in a tournament <laughs> where they've just wrestled four matches. Yeah, like that's not nothing. There are people who are considered stand-up dudes who probably wouldn't do that. Correct. There are far too many that would just simply say that. Okay, you know, maybe there'll be stand-up folks in their words, but they'll still say, "Oh, I don't think it's believable for me to lose to a five-foot-one woman." It's like. Excuse me, have you seen what this five foot one woman can do? She's yeah. suplexing him through those light tubes. Yes. But they so, won't say that yeah. about a five foot one dude, so. Exactly. There's a spot in this where he like lifts her up with a chair underneath her and drives them both down to the mat. And it amazing. And it was something that I is so simple, such like a simple idea. And yet I don't think I've ever seen that in a match. I don't think I've ever seen someone like carried on the chair and slammed down. I've seen people slammed onto the chair already on the ground, but there was something about that added element of both of these, el- these, these pieces, both of the person and the chair coming down at the same time. That I was like, that is unique and really impactful, mm-hmm. really impactful. And something you can really only do when you have a larger body and a smaller body, like a benefit of that kind of matchup. Yes. Ah, oh, such a good point, Jackie. Such a good point. Like the, you get so much. Oh yeah. And that's great in a match like this. Highly recommend this as a match. This is something I definitely would not have seen if we didn't have this conversation today. And like, this was something I would have missed entirely. Um, this is from Stranglehold Bloodstock 2006 uh, with the great, <laughs> the great subtitle, give pain a chance. This is the main event from that from that and uh it's just it's it's only like eight minutes long it's a really fast moving match it gets started right away clearly these people had already been through it so they these you know competitors wanted to get through this match but they do a really good job and and butcher does a, a bang up job putting lufisto over and she does an excellent job beating him toe to toe there's uh, elements in this match early on where i was curious how she was gonna like you know like do the turn and like, you know, get the upper hand on him. And when it happens, it's so believable Mm -hmm. because 
it just works. And the contrast of their physical forms and even just visually contrast, not just the fact that she's a, you know, smaller woman and he's this big hulking dude, but like visually she's in like shiny <laughs> pink gear and he is, you know, necro butcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like what he looks like. Um, even just like the visual cues are so different for both of these characters. And she's got her hair in pigtails, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A little tiny pigtails. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's fantastic. It just, every part of this worked. I did not imagine watching this playlist and thinking this would be my favorite match, but honestly, it, it is a contender for me um, against the next one we'll talk about, which I think still wins out because it's just such insanity, like perfection insanity. So talk to us about this FMW match. So first off, this was intended to be the capstone to this, but then I remembered the fifth match that I added. It was supposed to be in order of brutality, but I think this changeup was important to include because, um, so now we're going to Japan for FMW. Um, FMW, for those who don't know, it was, a revolution in Japanese wrestling in which it introduced uh, various styles of deathmatch wrestling, but also it was a revolutionary outlet in other ways, considering that all Japan wrestling, which had been the sole source for women's wrestling had a cutoff retirement age of 25. Mm, So there were, a number of other organizations that came up that allowed women to keep on going after the age of 25. But FMW certainly had uh, a large audience in itself to allow that. So you had all sorts of notables in there. You had uh, Combat Toyota, you had uh, Bonacano, and of course, Megumi Kudo, and Shark, and I always have trouble pronouncing her last name. I want to say Suchia. Chia, uh, I think I think it's Suchia, yeah. Yeah, and this was Megumi's retirement match. Now, again, my first taste of death match was watching that videotape that I bought at ECW from, and I'm sorry to say this, RF Videos stand <laughs> at an ECW table. Yeah, we, this was before we knew about uh, the owner of RF Video. Um, And the printed out pamphlet had a description of this match. And it was incredibly special to me because it was just blowing my mind that I was interrupting AP bio just to read from it, including descriptions of how the match was insane. It was a double hell match with knives and blood galore. And I'm just reading this aloud. And the teacher just looks at me and then gets back onto cellular respiration or something. (laughs) <laughs> uh, this this is a retirement match and yeah. it's <laughs> um i feel like we don't see retirement matches like this i feel like fmw had a very unique way of sending people off i mean look if we're talking about the fighting spirit kudo <laughs> has it in spades Definitely. So this is a exploding barbed wire death match. Um, well, no ropes. 
exploding barbed wire double hell death match. <laughs> and it's probably one of the more iconic death matches, period, just in general. Y- yeah, for yeah. real. The 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 open sides of the ring that lead to just a like field of exploding barbed wire uh never fail to just make me like squirm, especially when they hit them inevitably. Yes. But it's so cool. It also kind of removes you a little bit from the violence of it because it's really cool. Like it's I'm sorry, I sound like a 10-year-old boy, but like it, things blow up and it's cool. <laughs> But that is part of the appeal of this match. Things blow up and it is very cool. And the fact that you are missing two sides of the ring also sort of takes you out of your normal wrestling brain. Because like the setup is different and the ring looks different and this is something different. And all of the signals tell you that it's something special and it is a masterclass in hardcore psychology and storytelling. It's so good watch this like pause this podcast and watch this match right now (laughs) but how do you work an actual exploding death match that had onita in it one of the things that they teams to do for this type of match is they actually do want to have distance between the crowd and the ring itself so this is you may notice that there seems to be a slightly long longer depth between the crowds and the ring itself. Mm-hmm. Probably for liability reasons, probably so that no one gets hit by straight stray explosives, what have you. But yeah, it in person, feeling the booms, the impacts of those explosives, that's something else entirely. I bet. Have you photo were you there? Were you did you photograph this match? No, not this match. Uh in oh, no, not, October, not this match, but but the match that you attended. Yes. Uh, Halloween last year, Matt Tremont fought uh, at Sushi Onita in a exploding death match in Trenton, New Jersey. Wow. How, your mentality as a photographer, does it change when it's something to this caliber? Like, it, how do you go about, how, how do you go about capturing something like this? It's not easy because... I'm not a fireworks specialist. I wish that we actually had Brian Krieger, who is a fireworks specialist. Uh, he's a photographer in the Long Island area, but he travels a bit in the tri-state region. Um, but it was difficult because it's a mix, because there was both an exploding barbar pit, but there was also exploding barbar bats, and Onita also likes to use fire as well, and which you will also in this match as well where shark throws a fireball she uses barbed wire to her benefit as well as pile drivers and oh my goodness yeah yeah megumi is just just can't say die no no what won't um something that i loved especially about this it was just kind of a reminder of how how well this is orchestrated is I feel like Megumi especially her gear looks like and I don't even know if maybe this was the case but her gear works so well with the explosions that it looks Mm -hmm. like she is and it starts off kind of roughly so like it's not really changing 
but there's elements of it that look frayed uh-huh. and increasingly distressed mm-hmm. as those explosions keep happening. And it's like, yes, yeah, she's like, of course you're getting, you're getting exploded. You're like, your pieces are coming apart. It works so well. And it's just mm-hmm. an interesting, it's just attention to detail um, that when you have that added effect, it looks like this person is going through explosions. Like it looks good it, to an audience looking at that. You're going to think this person is, is getting torn apart. The barbed wire on top of the explosions, that's just going to rip off plenty. And look, Mm -hmm. I've got accidental barbed wire scars myself. (laughs) Unintentionally, I've scraped against it. It hurts. I hate that feeling. It's like you're getting bitten. Yeah, it's absolutely awful. I I honestly, I I question the sanity of anyone who is willingly throwing themselves into barbed wire, to be honest. (laughs) Like we are praising this work, but I also, I, I, I really am concerned. I mean, Hey, look, there's a fine line between pain and pleasure. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I love love them, but I do question some of the decisions they, they make. And so, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I will say going back to that fireball spot that you mentioned, uh, what's great too. I love the ref rushing in to help put Megumi out. Like rushing, yeah. like actually like being like, this is a danger. We need to get the fire out. I thought that was such a great touch because like, of course, a ref who cares about both of the competitors will put out the fire. It was just very good. Well, that's also the mark of a good referee because mm-hmm. even in a traditional death match, uh, well, what has now become more of a traditional death match in the likes of what you saw with Lucista versus Necrode Butcher, mm-hmm. because admittedly that that is a little closer. Maybe they set such a standard that that's what others follow, but either way, um, referees that are worth their salt will make certain to crunch up glass shards and watch out for the wrestlers. They'll make certain that they are the third participant in that ring mm-hmm. and safety of the performers is paramount for them. I have seen I have seen a couple of uh, hardcore and, and maybe something maybe like two matches I would characterize as death matches in person and it's something I always kind of look to when it comes to the ref like how are they a part of this match what are they doing to both ensure the safety of the wrestlers to the extent that they can and also like you know hiding heightening the action in ways that refs obviously can do in pro wrestling and it's always interesting to see the like the little discreet sweep of the leg, the little bit of like clearing of Mm -hmm. debris here and there, the ways in which the ref is really the one trying to look out the most directly for these competitors because they have the best vantage point. And you're right. It's a mark of a good ref when you're like, when you're seeing them actively take that role. So storyline wise, yes, they're supposed to allow the wrestlers to do whatever it is that they want to do. But of course it is still within the purview of a good ref to ensure safety mm-hmm. to some degree. Ref discretion. Yes, of <laughs> course. It's always at ref discretion. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's like the most ambiguous term. Well, there's a lot of ambiguous terms in wrestling. Let me not, let's be real there. But it's one of those ambiguous terms in wrestling that like, you know, what is ref discretion? Well, ref discretion is if it's a violent match, let them be violent until maybe someone's safety is too much at stake. And then get in there well i think that would bring us to our uh fifth and final match 
this was a last minute addition, but I was so thrilled that you had um, added this because it was one that I hadn't realized I had actually watched before, but it's always worth talking about Mickey Knuckles. Tell us about this final match, Amy. So this is, <laughs> this was supposed to be the setup of a series, but unfortunately that never culminated. And I asked Mickey about that as well, but so uh, Mickey Knuckles is in Mexico to face off with Ludark Shaitan. And I already love deathmatch wrestlers that are using a mask gimmick. And Ludark okay. is definitely doing the mask thing. Uh, not only that, also, I love the fact that Ludark is using Shaitan, which is, I want to say Arabic for Satan. So that's <laughs> fantastic. So she, she's the dark Satan. <laughs> but, but she's Mexican but okay <laughs> and uh, Mickey Knuckles is there uh, to challenge her for her title which I believe had the word kawaii in it which is Japanese for cute <laughs> so already I, some, some, yeah, some I do her. love I do love Mickey Knuckles uh, having cute as part of her her brand in this match yes not not what i necessarily would uh describe her in this match but um as, as amy has said like she has a a much different personality uh out of ring um this one was a, I, I actually kind of loved finishing the playlist on this match in particular because i thought it added a few elements that we hadn't seen before while also kind of throwing back to like the straightforward violence of that lufisto necro butcher match yep <laughs> Yes. So, yeah. Going back to the Japanese one, notice how quiet the commentary is on that. But that's just how Japan com Japanese commentary was at the time. They really didn't get too excited with the product, uh, even though they're seeing people blown up. And just like, wow, way to ground me while watching this. But mm -hmm. also slow pace, very slow pace, because they're recovering from literal explosions. Whereas here, they are just going back and forth with lots of violence, smacking each other with weapons, oh. and a variety of weapons. It's not just light tubes, it's not just chairs, but of course including that, but also meat skewers to the head. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, guns. Yeah, staple um, guns I mean, to the um, um, nether regions. <sighs> And Less than two I minutes love, into the match. <laughs> I love how Mickey begs off of this, even though, Mickey, we know you've taken that and worse before, but still. <laughs> but who better to know not to, to beg not to receive it than someone who has received it multiple times? <laughs> <laughs> also, I, don't know. I was going to say, this, this match for me is like, just my notes on this are just list. It's just a list of spot after spot after spot with a bunch of exclamation points after it, because it is just like, you could describe this as a spot fest, but it is, it, it's a smorgasbord of violence and it's beautiful. That's all I can think to say. I mean, it, it really, all of your classic spots here get, get played in ways that I don't necessarily, oh my God, I'm just, I'm re- 
watching in my brain the <laughs> stable gun to the crotch uh-huh. moment. And it's and it's like I have seen stable guns used in matches. I've seen I've seen that. Uh-huh. Um, they even put that in the wrestler, even it's like it's a well-known trope of this type of wrestling. Yep. But I haven't seen one to the crotch, especially not like a women's match. And there was definitely an added thrill of watching that for me because it's like, oh shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I don't know what it's like to get kicked to the junk. I don't have that junk, but I do know that particular junk. And oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's- uh, there's a lot and- of like visceral, like, a sp- I don't know, maybe it was just like the, maybe it's the video level too, but there's so many moments in mm-hmm. this that hit weirdly harder than other examples of these same spots. Yeah. These, these women are just, they're, it's for whatever reason, it looks extra, extra violent. <laughs> yes. The Headbutting. Video was, oh. oh yeah. Mickey also does the scary headbutts too. Uh, that light tube headbutt. Oh, that's going <laughs> to live in my brain forever. It's amazing. So I think that brings us to a point that I wanted to bring up about deathmatch wrestling. Have you both seen The Princess Bride? Absolutely. Okay. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Do you recall the scene where Wesley is lying in bed and challenges the prince to, to the a duel to the pain? Mm-hmm. And that is what deathmatch wrestling is. How far are you willing to go to win? How much are you willing to persevere before you simply give up and say, I'm stopping? And yeah, that's one of the things that we, I think Mickey was intimating with some of her actions there that she wanted to quit, but Ludark just kept on pulling her and kept on going mm-hmm. forward, especially with the begging. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that is a little overlooked the braggadocio of Ludark and Mickey's foul, but at the same time, almost cowardly behavior in this match. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We cannot deny, yes, sure, spots, but character work there as well. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's such a good point, Amy. Something I meant to bring up even early on, but like, I do think characterization gets lost in the discussions about these matches because, I mean, we even have kind of done it. Like we're talking about the matches, we're talking about the spots, we're talking about like the big moments. But I think something that is uniform amongst all of the matches on your playlist is that we are seeing storytellers tell a story. They're doing it with Mm -hmm. incredibly violent means, but they're doing, they're still telling that story. They're still living characters and you can, you can't deny that as you're watching these these people perform, they're still in character. Yep, that's actually a really important point that um, Raven, the wrestler, had is famous for making. Is like hardcore wrestling is still wrestling. There still needs to be a story. If there's no story, mm-hmm. what what are you doing? It's just hitting each other with stuff. I'm, the last part was just my addition to that. But, you know, Raven is essentially mm-hmm. making a point that the storytelling is fundamental no matter what. And I always thought that that was, you know, the heart of the matter with with um, hardcore wrestling. You know, again, to bring it back to the blood, the blood is what's grounding you in the very real violence of the moment. 
but that very real violence is a vehicle to tell a larger story that that lets you experience uh, um, one, if not multiple emotions and kind of have that cathartic release through something that is as big of a spectacle as you possibly can make it. You know, when I hear Luz Fisto making a war cry, just as she's about to hit someone, say mm -hmm. like a clothesline or a weapon, that scream is so visceral. I am feeling it like, I'm feeling it in my tummy right now. Like mm -hmm. the crying from Megumi, just mm -hmm. from either release or it being over. Ah. And you will see this in the men who also do it too, but still, ah, I am just feeling it with these wrestlers in particular that we were discussing. Mm. Amy, on your playlist, if you were going to, like if if you had someone who was definitely interested in watching deathmatch wrestling, hardcore wrestling for the first time, and they didn't mind the promise of you know blood and gore and guts, which of the matches on your on your list would you have them watch first? Yeah, it's a little hard because some of these matches are a little older. So I think a visual medium really should be as clear as possible, and so I would still. I think I would still begin with maybe the Lego death match first because mm -hmm. that that's just simply it's showing some visceral violence, but it's very clear. You are seeing the action. You are seeing a display of action, but it's so limited in its scope. And that's great because this way you are not overwhelmed with the possibilities. You are shown what well, the possibilities of different violent implements you're shown uh the varieties that can be done with just one type of object yeah for for sure uh, honestly that is where i would go to as well um i think if someone was a little further along and they hadn't seen kudo kudo versus suchia yeah. i i would say absolutely make a point to watch that match yes um, it's a classic of the form. And just honestly, like if you're going to get into deathmatch wrestling, like FMW is where you need to end up at some point. Um, but I do think that the four-way Lego deathmatch, because of its, you know, its efficiency, there's a lot to catch your eye. There's a lot of different inventive spots when it comes to using the Legos and just that visual cue and that relatability to the, to the pain. I think it's, it makes a really neat entry point and also gives the person watching it a little bit of a remove because you still have this like goofy aspect. So it's, it's that like little bit of a safety net. If that person, you know, if there are moments where it's a little squeamish, it's still, it's still let go. I will say this, uh, interspecies wrestling does bill itself as pro wrestling for people who don't like pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> From the things I have seen from interspecies wrestling, I completely understand where they're saying that. And it's it's a really fun promotion to check in on. It's not one that it I is. follow regularly, but they regularly do have matches where I'm like, oh, I need to make a point to watch that specific match. Yeah, they run about maybe twice a year or so. Uh, they do fully admit that a lot of their earlier stuff was problematic and they own up to it. Uh, so be advised if you look at some of their earlier stuff. However, interspecies wrestling, if you enjoy Kevin Steen, or sorry, Kevin Owens and uh, Sami Zayn, you're going to see some of your old favorites in their 
early up-and-coming days. And you're seeing that they definitely had the star power in the making there. Well, Amy, I am so pleased that we got to review this playlist with you and talk more about some notable uh, figures, non-male, non-cis male figures in the world of deathmatch and hardcore wrestling. Um, if people wanted to find you on the internet, where would they where would they be able to do that? Honestly, the best way to find me is always going to be my Twitter. That's where I'm posting most of my photos. So it's just simply username at happy peep. Think of those marshmallow peeps and one that's happy. Maybe it didn't get eaten. There we go. That's me. On Instagram, I'm Amy Morgor. On Facebook, I'm only adding my friends. So please don't try to add me on Facebook. Um, yeah, don't, don't but, add strangers on Facebook, everybody. But at the same time, seriously, don't add me if bloody photos aren't for you because I will be posting lots and lots of bloody photos. But if that is your thing, be sure to seek out Amy on Twitter. It's um, your photographs are, we haven't even really gotten to delve into just like the layer of artistry with your photographs. Um, we'll have to have you back to talk more about that specific subject. Um, but if you want a taste of that, please, and you don't mind the color, please check out Amy at Happy Peep on Twitter. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, the work speaks for itself. And Amy, you've done a, an amazing job telling us more about this uh, world of deathmatch wrestling. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you thank for you the for amazing me. picks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> And if it's all right, I'm going to share the playlist um, in our show notes uh, so that other people can see it. Definitely. Um, the WSU, uh, the, the initial video is clearly pirated, but the Lefisto match is definitely authorized because that's Lefisto's own account. Uh, and I believe all the other matches are official releases as well. So, yeah. So we will share that playlist link on our show notes so that other people can watch these matches for themselves. If they haven't already seen them, uh, make sure to do so because you will not be disappointed. Every one of these is a banger more so than the last one. So please uh, check out that playlist. And uh, thanks again, Amy. And thanks again, Jackie, for joining me on this topic.